Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I hope and trust you uh, had a good Easter last week. Uh, I know for my family, ours didn't quite go according to plan and according to what we had hoped for because uh, all four of our kids ended up with some sort of stomach bug. And so uh, when my oldest threw up all over my parents' back porch, uh, we knew that that was our cue to head home. And so, again, hopefully yours was better than mine. Uh, but again, it was such a special Sunday here at Lemworth to be able to celebrate as one body, the, the risen and resurrected uh, Lord that we, all, uh, that we all give our lives to and worship. And so, uh, but today, we're going to turn our attention back to the Sermon on the Mount. And again, if you haven't been with us for a while, or if you're new, or you're, this is your first Sunday, uh, as a church, we have been working our way slowly through uh, some of Jesus' most famous and celebrated words. And, there, and it's certainly his most famous sermon that we have recorded in the scriptures. And before Easter, when we were looking at it, Pastor Rich walked us through a, uh, a section on anger and murder. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I personally thought he did such a great job. Uh, you know, anger has been an issue, a, a little bit of a, a struggle in my life. And so I just really appreciated some of the things uh, that he shared in that message. Uh, but the problem that I have with Rich this morning is that he was supposed to also cover uh, the section on lust and adultery. Uh, but instead, he left that to me. And, uh, yeah. uh, and it's so funny. I saw him in the lobby after that service, and, and he just looked at me with one of these, like, I'm so sorry looks. And I just was shaking my head, like, come on, man, you're killing me. And, uh, but actually, you know, I think it's okay. I think he made the right call there, because I think anger is one of those issues that, 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 is, that we needed to address, that deserved to have a, a full Sunday devoted to it. Uh, but I just can't help but be so angry at him for leaving me. Uh, such a, a hard section. I'm, I'm trying to get over it. The Lord's helping me. Uh, just kidding. Well, in light of that, we are going to try to cover then three little sections in the, in the book of Matthew in chapter 5. And so we're going to walk through verses 27 through 37. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. And let's stand as we read today's passage. So starting in verse 27, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these precious words from Jesus. Uh, Lord, they are challenging, they're convicting, they're, they're, they're hard for us to hear. And so, uh, Lord, right now we just invite your Holy Spirit's presence to come uh, to lead us into all truth and to just help us uh, here to, uh, 
uh, just see truth and to, and to see Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Before we dive into this text here, uh, I need to set the stage a little bit for the context of, of kind of where we are at in the sermon. You know, that's sort of the hard thing. A sermon wasn't meant to be, you know, dragged out over 13 weeks or whatever we're going to do here. It was meant to be one. And so let me just set the context here. If you remember back to like three weeks ago, Pastor Chris gave a message called The Law and the Gospel. And in that message, he covered verses 17 through 20 in chapter 5. And, and, and in that passage, we see Jesus talk about his relationship and his view of the Old Testament law. And what we saw was, is that Jesus, far from trying to abolish or do away with the law, he, he was actually showing them that he was there to fulfill it, that he was the completion of the law. And so in that passage, we saw Jesus defend himself against the Pharisees, against those teachers of the law, who were trying to, again, accuse him of setting it aside. But then in that passage, Jesus goes on to say something astonishing, something that, that, that was a little bit shocking. And in verse 20, he told them this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that Chris pointed out when we read a verse like that is, is some of us are tempted to think, well, how can that be? I mean, these guys seem to have done everything perfect. I mean, they were tithing things down to like mint and dill and cumin and, and, and they were fasting more than what was even required by the law. And yet, as Chris went on that message, in that message, we saw that that so much of their obedience, it was insincere. It was actually in many ways self-serving. You see, if it, in other words, if it brought them attention and recognition, then, then they had no problem obeying it. But if it cost them something, if, if it cost them something that they held precious, then oftentimes we see them relax it or we see them reinterpret it to suit their comfort or their needs. You see, when we look at a verse like verse 20, there's definitely a sense in which in order for you and I in order for those disciples who heard this, in order for them to enter the kingdom, they needed and we need Christ's perfect righteousness given and imputed to us. And that's what we have in salvation when we come to him. But as Chris brought out, if, if you have in fact uh, come into a relationship with Christ, there, then Jesus is also saying from a practical standpoint, your righteousness should exceed theirs. You see, at some level, I believe the Pharisees had a twisted view of who God was and is, which in turn led them to then twist his laws. You see, if you and I, if we don't believe that God is good, that he is loving, and if we don't believe that his laws and his commands are for our protection, for our joy, that they exist to help us flourish as human beings, then some of us, and this is probably the majority of the world, we just outright reject them. We see what God says and we just say, I don't want anything to do with that. However, others of us who are perhaps a little more uh, religious, like the Pharisees, we don't reject them, but we do look for loopholes. We look for ways around them. We look for ways that we can, we can uh, you know, technically keep them without actually keeping them. Ways that we can you know, sort of obey, perhaps, but without obeying wholeheartedly. You see, we'll be tempted to reinterpret or relax things so that we can basically live any way that we want. You see, I know as pastors, we kind of pick on the Pharisees a lot. Uh, but you see, in a lot of ways, I think that they just represent the human heart. 
In other words, I think you and I are them. Particularly since we're here at church, you know, we, we, we like religion. We, we want to know uh, God. Um, you see, but the thing is, is the human heart and the, the human religious heart, it loves loopholes. It loves when lines are a little bit blurry or when, when we can test those boundaries, when things aren't quite as, as clear. And so what we see in verse 20 is that Jesus, uh, after he makes that shocking statement, which again, you might be tempted to think, how can we do this? He goes on to pick these six different examples out of the Old Testament law. And, and, and it was almost as if they were kind of a case study, you could say. A, a case study of how people, and probably specifically how the Pharisees were attempting to keep the law without actually keeping it. And so again, two weeks ago, Chris walked us through, or Pastor Rich walked us through the very first one on, on anger and murder. Now today we want to walk through the next three on adultery, divorce, and taking oaths. And so if you're an outline or a note taker, my outline this morning is this. Jesus uh, closing the loophole of adultery. Uh, number two, closing the loophole of divorce. And then finally, number three, closing the loophole of taking oaths. Now, before we dive into this uh, heavy topic here, topics here, uh, just one qualifying note. Uh, I'm not going to be able to dive deep down into any one of these topics. And in many ways, I don't think that that was Jesus' intention here either in this sermon. But at the same time, I realize that these are very real issues for many of us. And so I just want to say, if you want to go a little bit deeper in both the area of sexual immorality or divorce, um, a little bit over a year ago, we as a church walked through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in that series, the, the series was called Grow. And in that series, I gave a message on sexual immorality called Run for Your Life. Uh, and Pastor Chris gave a message on divorce and remarriage. Um, and both of those were in a much more thorough way. And so, again, if, if you're not satisfied with the way that I uh, walk through these today because I'm not able to go down deep, then I would just encourage you to go to our website and listen to those. Uh, maybe the other kind of qualifying thing to say here is this, that, that I realize, particularly with the topic of divorce, that it is very sensitive and, and it's a painful and, a, and in many ways it's a complicated issue. Uh, it involves real people, real lives. And so, again, just keep that in mind as we go through the passage today. All right, you guys ready to do this? You ready to dive in here? Okay. All right, so starting with number one, closing the loophole of adultery. Uh, let's look back down at verse 27. Again, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Wow, that, that's not intense, right? You know, talking about cutting things off and throwing things away. Um, so what's Jesus doing here? Well, he starts off by quoting uh, the seventh commandment and the ten commandments. And he says, look, I'm, I'm looking at you, you know, first century Jews, and I know you know this very well. You have it memorized. It's very familiar. But what I'm saying to you today is that to even look at a woman lustfully, or as the ESV says there, to look with lustful intent... If you do that, you have just committed adultery in your heart. And so again, Jesus, just like he did with murder and anger, he is now doing so with uh, adultery and lust. And he's saying, look, 
I know you guys think that you have totally kept this commandment simply because you have not slept with someone who's not your spouse. But I'm actually telling you, folks, the bar is a lot higher than that. You see, Jesus is saying this. I don't care about just modifying your moral external behavior. I what I care about is actually changing your heart. You see, being a part of the kingdom isn't just about having lives that on the surface appear to be righteous. But rather being in the kingdom is about having lives that are both externally and internally practically actually righteous. He's not just concerned with your external behavior. He cares about what's going on in your heart. Now, we need to think a little bit about what he's getting after when he says uh, by looking at someone with lustful intent. And so what does and what doesn't that mean? Well, first off, I don't believe that what Jesus is saying there is that there's something wrong with noticing someone who is attractive. In other words, if I drive home today from church and I see a woman uh, walking her dog across High Street and I think to myself, wow, that is one uh, amazing, I mean, I mean, gorgeous, beautiful looking golden retriever. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Just kidding. If it, if I see this woman walking her dog and I think, wow, you know, she's she's very pretty. And then I just kind of keep driving. I don't really think about it again. I go home and I kiss my beautiful wife and that's really it. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. In fact, you even see in the scriptures an acknowledgement that people can be attractive. Uh, it says in the book of Genesis that both Sarah and Rachel were beautiful and attractive. And so, again, I don't think there's anything simple about acknowledging that. Now, fellas, if you're married, a um, little tip here. There might be some wisdom in keeping that opinion to yourself. <laughs> and so, just trying to save you, you know, and fight on the way home. So, today, if you uh, see that woman crossing the street with her dog, maybe comment on the dog instead, and you'll be safe, you know. And it's like, wow, I love poodles. They're beautiful, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, what is Jesus getting at then? Well, if when you leave here today and you drive home, if you see an attractive woman crossing High Street with her dog... And as a result, you begin to stare at her. Uh, You begin to look her up and down, if you will. And you're so distracted that you run into a telephone pole. Well, you've probably crossed the line, right? Uh, Or or maybe even worse, if you uh, see this person and you uh, look at them and you stare at them and you just begin to dwell on them and begin to think of them in sexual ways, if you begin to undress them in your mind, if you will, then again, I would say you've crossed the line. You have now moved into what Jesus is talking about here. You see, the English word look, it could it could mean you glanced at something or it could mean you stared at them. And I really like what one scholar named Tim Mackey said on this to help clarify. He said, what is being communicated here by Jesus is the idea of a long sustained look or in other words, staring. It could be translated as this. Anyone who stares at a woman in order to fuel sexual desire for her. And so there's kind of two components there. There's the the staring thing, but it's staring in order to fuel sexual desire. And look, the passage is certainly addressing men here, but I think we all understand and realize and research has shown that that this has become, in our over-sexualized culture, this has become an issue for women as well. And so, uh, you know, women, you're not off the hook here. This This is all of us. You see, again, I don't believe Jesus is talking about the problem of noticing someone who's attractive. But it's rather what he's getting at is what you do after you've noticed them. That's the issue. And I really like what uh, Martin Luther said on this passage. 
uh, follow, follow this here. I think it's pretty funny. He says, we should not make the bowstrings of Jesus's teaching too taut here. As if anyone who is merely tempted to look at another with lust is eternally damned. I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head. But I can certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. (laughs) You see what he's saying there? He's like, look, I can't help if an attractive person walks across high street. But I can, you know, I can keep from taking it any farther. And, you know, man, I think. If we're being honest, particularly, man, I think we're, if we're being honest, we know when we have moved into what Jesus is talking about here. And just like with the previous passage on murder and anger, the, the consequences and the results are different. In other words, the consequences and the re, and from a result standpoint, there is a difference between actual physical adultery and, and, and doing what Jesus is talking about here, this, this adultery of the heart. But in terms of obeying the command, Jesus is saying they're the same in my eyes. And so whether you actually do it or whether you're doing it in your heart, you are breaking uh, the Lord's command here. In other words, Jesus in this passage, is, he's closing the loophole. He's saying, look, I know some of you think that you're keeping this commandment because you haven't physically slept with someone who's not your spouse. But I am telling you, I know that plenty of you have broken it by sleeping with them in your mind and in your hearts. I don't know all of you here today, and I don't know how hearing this sounds to you. Perhaps if you're uh, not a follower of Jesus or if you're more new to the faith, uh, this, you may be thinking, wow, this is insane. Like, I knew Christians were prudes, but this is ridiculous, you know? Like, we're talking about what's going on in our heads? Like, this is insane. Well, actually, I don't think this has anything to do with being a prude or with thinking negatively about sex. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. You see, Jesus and his followers care about sex and sexual purity so much, not because we think that it is so bad, but because we think that it is so good. We recognize that sex was a a, a thing created by God, a good gift given to his creation. And that means that it is good and that it is right. But it also means that we believe that he designed it to work in a certain way. You see, Chris shared a couple weeks ago in a message this really profound truth when he said this. He said, freedom isn't doing whatever we want. That's how the world would define it. No, freedom is living according to our design. This goes back to something that I said earlier in the message, and that is this. In order for you to understand and to buy into Jesus' words here today, you have to know and believe that he is for your good. That, that he is for your joy, that, that he is all about what is going to help you flourish as a human being. And because of that, he understands how when you and when I, when we don't live in light of his design for human flourishing, we hurt ourselves and we hurt each other. And so because of that reality, he has given us laws, he has given us boundaries, he has given us commands that, that are there to help uh, guide us away from those things that would, would hurt and destroy our lives. You see, Jesus in this passage, he's not trying to suppress our sex lives, but rather he is trying to protect them and enhance them. And so, you know, this is actually so crazy, but do you know that research is showing that pornography is actually rewiring our brains and our bodies in such a way that it's actually ruining the act of physical intimacy. It's ruining it for people. 
And again, I should probably not go into any more detail there, but, but there's all kinds of secular research that, that bears this out. You see, God in his wisdom designed and created sex to work in a certain way. And when we abuse or distort it, there are all kinds of consequences. I mean, in many ways, you could compare sex to fire. Is fire good or is fire bad? Well, it really depends. I mean, fire in a fireplace is an amazing and wonderful and life-giving thing. I think we all love that. That's why so many of our homes are built with fireplaces, because there's just something about it. Beside, I mean, that's why we do crazy things like, you know, have gas fireplaces that don't really heat your house. But we just love it. It's life-giving. However, that same fire taken out of its proper environment, its proper context, and let loose in a forest is incredibly destructive. And so again, it's not that Jesus is a prude or a killjoy, but rather it's that he wants to lead you into joy. He wants to lead you to where your life will flourish. The other thing that Jesus knows, though, is this, that the way that you end up in physical adultery is through small compromises along the way, which again are the result of heart issues. Remember, he's after your heart. He doesn't want you just to not, you know, do these moral external things. He wants your heart. You see, he understands that, that when, we are, or when we look at someone lustfully, that there's something broken inside of our heart. There's some root issues going on there that, that if left unchecked, will lead to the act of physical adultery. And so what Jesus is current, concerned about is getting upstream. He wants to get to where those issues begin to develop. You see, I think a lot of Christians and religious people, we are tempted to approach sex and God's commands on sex with an attitude of, okay, so what can I get away with? Like, you know, give me the bottom line. How far can I go or, or what can I do and still technically be kind of within the bounds? You see, again, I think ever since the fall, mankind has sought to look for loopholes around totally and wholeheartedly obeying and following God. And so in Jesus's day, no doubt the Pharisees and the other disciples there uh, would look at this command to not commit adultery. And they would think to themselves, well, I'm good on that one. Check, check off the box. Even though in their mind and in their heart, they were full of all kinds of sexual immorality. And so here in this passage, Jesus is saying to them, no, stop. You are not obeying this law like you think you are. Before we move on to the next uh, section on divorce, let's let's briefly deal with these verses on uh, tearing out eyes and, you know, cutting off hands. Uh, I knew there was a reason Rich left this one for me. Um, now, look, I, I don't believe that Jesus or, or, or let me say this. I believe that Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's intentionally trying to shock you. He's in, he's intentionally exaggerating. In other words, just bluntly, I don't believe that Jesus is advocating for self-mutilation. <laughs> and, and neither do any other scholars or, or Bible teachers. Again, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to wake us up to the seriousness of this issue. You see, Jesus wants you and he wants me to, to take drastic steps in order to remove sources of temptation from our lives. And so, like I said in that message in 1 Corinthians, you know, for some of us, the most spiritual thing we can do today is to go to the cell phone store and trade in our smartphone for a flip phone. <laughs> that sounds drastic, but that could be the most spiritual thing you do all day. Or maybe for some of us, we need to cancel our gym membership or, or our cable plans. 
Or maybe some of us need to talk to a spouse and say, hey, can you help me put filters on our computer or passwords? Or maybe for some of us, we need to, for the first time, confess to a friend like, hey, this is an issue in my life. And and I just wanted to let you know so you can keep me accountable. Again, I understand. Maybe that sounds ridiculous. Maybe that sounds drastic. Maybe that sounds like cutting off a hand for some of you who are addicted to iPhones, you know. But that's sort of the point. Jesus realizes how dangerous and how serious this is. And so he wants you to do whatever it takes to rid it of your life. And so that's the first point here. Closing the loophole of adultery. Let's move on to the second. And that is this. Closing the loophole of divorce. Look back down at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, in verse 31, Jesus is quoting a a passage out of Deuteronomy 24.1. And in that section in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving these various laws concerning divorce. And so in, in, in Deuteronomy 24, it says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and he puts it in her hand and he sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Okay, I know that it ends abruptly, but let me just explain this. Um, In that passage, Moses is giving these laws about divorce. But if you keep reading, basically what he's getting at is this issue of of what happens if a man gets married, uh, he then gets divorced And then the woman goes on to marry someone else. And then that second husband uh, either dies or or divorces her. Uh, The law then goes on to say, basically, the first husband can't go back and marry her. And so that's kind of the context of what's going on. But the problem was, is that in Jesus's day, that that based on verse one here, uh, there arose all kinds of debate uh, between these two main uh, Pharisee groups. You had one group called the Shammai and the other was the Hillel. And basically, all of the debate uh, was around this one part of verse 24, 1, when it says this. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And so the Shammai, the more conservative of the two schools, what it taught was that the word indecency there referred to uh, exclusively to sexual infidelity. And basically what they meant by that was that if a, if a, a, a spouse cheated on particularly and this day, if a, if a wife cheated on her husband, then the husband uh, was required to give her a certificate of divorce. Or if perhaps after they got married, he found out that she, you know, had had premarital sex, that she wasn't a virgin, then the same thing. But they were required to give the certificate of divorce. Now, the Hillel school, what they taught, and, and many scholars think that that was the more prominent view in Jesus's day. They basically looked at that verse and they said this, that, that uh, you know, referring to something indecent, that could mean anything you wanted it to mean. In fact, there's even one famous, even documented statement by the Hillel uh, school that stated that a man could divorce his wife simply if she burnt his dinner one night. And so, wow, that's insane, you know, but, but that's what they taught. And so that's why in Matthew 19, we read this, you know, if you flip forward to Matthew 19, In uh, verse 3, it says this. And Pharisees came up to him, came up to Jesus, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? 
You see, clearly this was a hot button issue in Jesus's day. And so both in Matthew 19 and Matthew 5, Jesus is settling the matter. He's closing the loophole. In fact, if we keep reading Matthew 19, he goes on to say this. In verse 4, he writes, or it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. You see, Jesus there, he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's saying, look. You guys are so obsessed and concerned with looking for justifiable ways to get divorced. But don't you see? Don't you understand how unnatural and how broken divorce is? You guys act like it's no big deal, like it's just a big game. But it's not how marriage was designed. You can't take two things and make them one and then try to separate them again. No, you see, marriage, it was designed for oneness. It was designed for permanence. And yet all you guys care about is how one can get technically divorced and still keep the law. And Jesus is essentially looking at them and saying, look, you guys are asking the wrong question. You should be asking, how do, hey, Jesus, how do we stay married for the rest of our lives? Instead, you're asking, how do we get divorced? It's interesting because you even see his disciples, when he says this in Matthew 19, get thrown off a bit by his answer. Which, again, I think illustrates uh, that this was the dominant view in their day that, that again, you could get divorced for anything. And, and so in verse 10, it says this. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I mean, how crazy is that? That that, that was so common in their day that it was like, well, if it can only be for sexual immorality, then, man, you might as well not get married. Because who can stay married for the rest of their lives, you know? So again, I think going back to Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus here is solving and he's speaking into a debate that was going on in his day and age and one that obviously continues to go on in our own. And, you know, we could have spent the time this morning uh, looking at what exactly are the grounds for a biblical divorce and when is it, when is it okay. But again, I don't think that was the point. I think the point and the heart of Jesus here is this, that yes, is there such a thing as biblical divorce? Yes. Does God love divorce? Is he for divorce? No. And one of the interesting things is that the Shammai, the more conservative group, they required divorce for sexual immorality, whereas Jesus only permitted it. Which again shows you his heart. He, when, those two, when those two things come together as one, he wants nothing to tear them apart. And so if you can, he wants you, even regardless of what has taken place, to stay together. You see, he loves and he is for when two people come together as one and love each other and serve each other and put each other's needs before their own. That when they come together, they die to themselves. Jesus loves that. It brings him joy and it brings him glory. Because again, it, it represents his relationship to his bride, the church. And he doesn't want anything to tarnish that. 
Now, again, I, I realize that this is a very complicated and painful issue. And, and I told you up front that I wouldn't be able to cover it fully. And so, again, if you're more interested, you could talk to one of our pastors or go listen to that message I referred uh, to earlier. But let's go ahead and leave it there and, and move on to our last loophole that Jesus closes. And that's this. Closing the loophole of taking oaths. Uh, look back down at verse 33. Matthew five thirty three. it says this. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay, so here with this one, Jesus isn't quite, uh, he's not quite quoting an Old Testament law, but rather he is summarizing quite a few different ones. And so basically he takes about 10, 10 ones and puts it into one sentence. And so here are some examples of what he's talking about. Uh, and one of the Ten Commandments uh, says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, in Leviticus 19, it says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord. I am uh, the name of your God. I am the Lord. Uh, in Numbers 30, it says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Okay, so again, this is kind of the Old Testament context and law, the, the standard of taking oaths. So what was going on in Jesus' day that would, that would lead him to have to say things like, hey, don't take oaths by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your own head? Well, to answer that, to understand what's going on here, we need to actually turn to another passage where Jesus deals with this a little bit more fully. And, and so again, if you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 23. And the context of Matthew 23 is Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's, he's in, uh, I think, Jerusalem at this point. Uh, but before he dies, he, he has some words he has to say to the Pharisees and to the scribes. He, he goes off on this rant where he's kind of rebuking them. And so in uh, verse 16 of Matthew 23, we, re we read this. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold of the temple or the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So what's all this about? You know, I've read this passage for years and I've never fully understood what's going on. Well, because they knew that swearing by God was totally binding. In other words, they knew that if they took an oath in God's name or if they swore by God, that, that they had to fulfill whatever they promised, that it had to be the truth. What happened was they began to develop an elaborate system of taking oaths by where uh, they, could, they could swear by things associated with God, but not God himself. In other words, as one commentator put it, they believed that by swearing by other holy items, they could leave loopholes 
by which people might not have to keep their vows. So in other words, they had created this elaborate system so that they didn't have to keep the truth. It was, it was a little bit like a childish game of cross my heart and hope to die. You know, you, you say something, you're like, hey, cross my heart, hope to die. And then, you know, it comes out that it's not true. And you're like, well, I didn't say stick a needle in my eye. And so, you know, I left room there to not be truthful. Or it's a little bit like, hey, I know I said that, but you didn't see my fingers were crossed behind my back when I told you this thing. And so Jesus here in both Matthew 5 and in Matthew 23, he's saying, look, guys, if you swear by things associated with God, you know, things like the heaven, uh, heaven or temple or the altar, if you swear by those things or take oaths by them, you're swearing by me. You're swearing by God. And so because you know that if you swear by God and you swear by his name falsely. So in Matthew 5, he just flat out says, look, don't even swear by anything at all anymore. Don't take oaths. Rather, simply let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. So again, we see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were looking for loopholes in God's commands. Ways that they could technically obey it without actually obeying it. And so Jesus, again, one more time says, enough is enough. Jesus is showing us that kingdom people are honest people. And because we're honest people, we don't have to resort to oaths or to swearing because we say what we mean. We keep our word. We don't try to manipulate conversations. We don't tell half truths. You know, we don't leave off that really important bit about, you know, the parents not being home or whatever, you know. We don't say we're going to do something and then not do it. But the problem is, is that sometimes you and I, we're not honest people. Sometimes we don't keep our word. You know, sometimes we are tempted to tell half-truths or to manipulate conversations in order to hide or to protect ourselves. And I think sometimes for Christians or religious people, we simply do this when we overcommit ourselves. In other words, we're not necessarily like, you know, an out-and-out liar or someone who is a compulsive liar, but rather we have good intentions. We plan on keeping our promise or our word. But because of the fear of man or because we didn't steward our time well or whatever it was, we have not kept our word at times. And again, it's simply sometimes because we're overcommitted, we're stretched too thin. But the problem is, is it means we're dishonest. It means we said we would do something that we didn't do. And I know for some of us, this is really hard. Some of us really like serving people. We like saying yes to things. But for some of us, our yes, we say yes for the wrong reasons. For some of us, we can't say no because we're worried about what others will think. Or because we're a people pleaser or we're afraid of being rejected. You see, I think behind every dishonest moment or lie, there is a root cause. And oftentimes it's because we have put our identity in something else other than Jesus. Either because of fear. Some of us, are we do that because of fear of others. Some of us do it because we just like to be praised. We like to be applauded when, when we get to do things for people. But the good news for us this morning is that you and I, we can change that by simply letting our yes mean yes and our no mean no. But I think the truth is, is if we're being honest here this morning, when we look at Jesus' words and his standards in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little bit overwhelming. It's perhaps even discouraging. You see, I think for some of us in this room, we can't imagine living a life where we didn't struggle with sexual immorality. I think for many of us here this morning, we can't imagine uh, the marriage we're in right now ending in any other way but divorce. 
I think some of us here can't imagine what it would look like to be ones who are honest in our speech. You can't imagine what it would look like to be set so free from the fear of man, from the fear of disappointing others, that we actually keep our word. That we actually become truth tellers. You know, things like we don't have to qualify every statement out of our mouth. Things like, hey, I know last time I said that, but I promise this time it'll be different. Or, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles or I swear on my mother's grave or whatever it is. But rather, we could become the kind of people whose character and reputation would be such that a simple yes or no from us would be enough. Again, for many of us, we look at Jesus's words in this passage today and we think, I want that. I want to be someone. I want that to be true of me, but it's just not. You know, Nick, I, I feel like his disciples, when, when they looked at him, when he was talking about divorce and said, well, who can do this? It's better not to even try. You know, for some of us, we can't imagine a life where we weren't looking for loopholes. Well, the good news for you and the good news for me this morning is that there was one who did it all perfectly. There was one who didn't need to look for loopholes, but rather he closed them in his life. He didn't look for ways around obeying his father, but rather he submitted to his father perfectly, to his father's will. You see, Jesus hates loopholes because he recognizes in them a twisting of who God is and what God is like. You see, Jesus knows the father And he knows that the father is good and that the father is for us. And therefore, Jesus knows that the father's commands are for our good. You see, what would it look like for us if we stopped looking for loopholes and instead we started looking to the father like Jesus did? What if we had the same heart and attitude as Jesus when he said in John, I only do what pleases my father. What if that was our heart instead of, hey, what can I get away with? Or how can I obey this without actually obeying it? You See, but the truth is, is that none of us can do this in our own strength. Again, as we said in that very first message of this sermon series, you and I cannot live out the Sermon on the Mount without a new heart and a new life in Jesus Christ. But if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And therefore, you have all that you need to actually be able to live this out. You see. Because Jesus was sexually pure, you and I, through his power, can live lives that are sexually pure. Because Jesus was and still is faithful to his bride, the church, you and I can be faithful and loving and stay married to our brides, to our spouses. Because Jesus himself is the very embodiment of truth, because he always told the truth, because he keeps his word, he keeps his promises. Because of that, you and I can be the kind of people who tell the truth. We can become honest People who keep our word. But we can't do it in our own strength. We have to press into Jesus, press into that power that works within us through the Holy Spirit in order to do this. We have to look to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that when you were tempted in the desert by Satan, Lord, you didn't take the loophole. Lord Jesus, when he tempted you, 
you didn't take the way out, but rather you stayed perfect to uh, you stayed perfectly pleasing to your father and to his will. Thank you, Lord, when you were going to the cross and you could have taken a way out and called 10,000 angels down to rescue you, Lord, you didn't take it. Rather, Lord, you stayed. You were faithful to your word to redeem us. So, Lord Jesus, help us to press into you. Help us to press into your power so that we can live lives that are sexually pure. So that we can live lives where, where we stay faithful and committed in our marriages. Lord, where we can become the kind of people who tell the truth, who are honest. Lord, help us to be that. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.